Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, December 13th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Uh-oh, Friday the 13th. If you're superstitious, ooh, it's going to be a long day. Luckily, I'm not. So, hey, we're good here. Anyway, yesterday morning, gold was bumping thanks to dovish messaging that was coming out of the Fed. I saw it up in the 1480 range at one point, and then we got a trade deal, or a deal in principle, as they're calling it. According to Reuters, the U.S. offered to suspend some tariffs on Chinese goods and cut others up to 50%. In exchange, Beijing's going to buy more American farm goods. An unnamed source told Reuters that Trump and his top advisors agreed on the terms for this proposal and that it might be the final offer. Now, China hadn't said crap, so who knows if this is really going to happen or not. And when you think about it, this isn't really much of a deal, is it? I mean, it's certainly not the huge deal we were promised. I don't even know if it qualifies as a stage one deal. I mean, we're not going to raise tariffs on Sunday as scheduled. I guess that's a good thing, and some tariffs may get cut a bit. But I don't know. It just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And I saw a Bloomberg op-ed this morning that called it a dud of a trade deal. So this is what we get after almost two years of trade warring? As the Bloomberg piece put it, from what we can see, there is nothing in this tentative deal that wouldn't have existed in the absence of the past two years of wrangling. But of course, as always happens with any trade deal news, stocks took off and gold dipped, falling to a four-month low yesterday at one point before rebounding a bit. Now, a weaker dollar, thank you, Fed, has helped stabilize gold at around $14.70 per ounce this morning as I'm recording the podcast. There's no telling how the yellow metal will end up closing out the week. It's largely going to depend on what comes of this trade deal stuff. And I got to be honest, I'm kind of skeptical about the whole thing. And then there is the fact that the deal appears to, you know, it kind of sucks. So maybe people will figure that out. Also, retail sales numbers come out today. So that could have some impact on the markets, assuming the trade deal brouhaha doesn't bury that news. So let's forget about all that and talk about the Federal Reserve, because I think what's going on at the central bank is a far more important uh, in the long run than any half-assed trade deal. The Fed wrapped up its final Federal Open Market Committee meeting of 2019 on Wednesday, doing pretty much what was expected. Nothing. After cutting interest rates three times this year, the FOMC stood pat during its final meeting of the year and held interest rates steady at 1.5%. But as it turns out, in the process of doing nothing, the Fed actually did quite a bit. Now, you know, with Fed speak, you always have to kind of read between the lines. Central bankers are always intentionally obtuse, but Powell definitely offered a lot of signals, and they were a lot more dovish than people expected. Even while not doing a thing, the Federal Reserve managed to outdove expectations. The most interesting thing was the so-called dot plot. Now, this is a projection of where the FOMC sees interest rate policy going over the next three years. According to the dot plot released on Wednesday, the Fed doesn't plan on doing anything at all next year, as in no rate cuts or rate increases. They're projecting that they'll just hold rates steady through the entire year. And then the following year, they're just anticipating one 25 basis point increase. Now, keep in mind where we are. The interest rate, like I said, is at 1.5%. You'll notice 1.5 isn't a big number. In fact, this is extremely loose monetary policy. 
So what the Fed is telling you is that it plans to sit on this really low interest rate for basically two years. We're going to get two years of extraordinarily loose monetary policy. That's on top of the decade of loose monetary policy we've already had. Now, remember back when we had the dot-com bubble? After it burst, we had a recession, right? Do you know how low the Fed took interest rates to rescue the economy after the dot-com bubble popped? 1%. So the Fed is telling us that it's going to keep interest rates just one-half a percent higher than it was during a major economic downturn. Think about this. Before the dot-com bubble popped, interest rates were as high as 6.5%. That was in 2000. After the 2008 crash, when the Fed cut rates to zero, we were told these were emergency measures to rescue the economy from the crisis. When it was over, so we were told, the Fed would normalize interest rates. And as I've talked about before, Ben Bernanke sat in front of Congress and swore quantitative easing was not debt monetization. The Fed was going to eventually sell off the treasuries it was buying. Now, here we are, more than a decade later, and rates ain't normal, and the balance sheet hasn't shrunk. In fact, the Fed is right now expanding its balance sheet faster than it was during the post-2008 rounds of quantitative easing. Emergency measures are the new normal, my friends. And as far as this dot plot goes, color me skeptical. I'm as skeptical about this dot plot as I am about a substantive trade deal. During his post-FOMC meeting press conference, Powell even left the door open for more rate cuts. He emphasized that the FOMC does not look to its dot plot for monetary policy guidance. And if you look at last year's, that's certainly clear. The Fed is data-dependent, he said. He suggested that the Fed would respond with further cuts if there was a weakening in the economy or if there is further pressure in the repo markets. Powell also said the Fed would consider expanding QE from only purchasing treasuries to buying shorter-term coupon securities, and he said the central bank will continue injecting liquidity into the overnight repo markets. So here's a question for you. Do you really believe that we will be sitting here on December 13th, 2020, talking about how the Fed has held rates steady all year? Really? Now, do you remember what we were talking about this time last year? Rate hikes. We were still a few days away from what turned out to be the last rate increase of the cycle. And based on the dot plot, we were told we were going to have three more rate hikes in 2019. Not only that, balance sheet reduction was on autopilot. We were on cruise control to normal. But the stock market was also tanking. Now, as you might recall, at this point last year, Peter Schiff was saying that the December 2018 rate hike would be the last hike, and then the Fed would start cutting. Lo and behold, three rate cuts later, here we are. Now, get this. At this time last year, the FOMC's dot plot anticipated a Fed funds rate of 2.875% at this point. Now, that's still not very high, but it turns out that that is 125 basis points above where it will actually end the year. So, yeah, I'm pretty skeptical about the whole dot plot thing. I really agree with Peter. The Fed's not going to hold steady. It's certainly not going to raise rates. Powell has flat out told us that. Even if inflation heats up, no hikes. He reiterated again on Wednesday that it would take a, quote, meaningful and persistent rise in inflation before the Fed would respond with rate hikes. In other words, the central bank is willing to let the inflation genie out of the bottle. And when that happens, how do you ever put it back in? Nope. Something will push the Fed to start cutting rates again next year. Maybe a big stock market drop or some really bad economic data. When that happens, we're heading to zero. 
This economy is predicated on low interest rates. When stocks crashed this time last year, the Fed had to step in and blow more air into the bubble. And it'll do it again. We have to have low rates. There's just too much debt in the economy. Government debt, corporate debt, and consumer debt is all through the roof. The economy depends on borrowing to keep going, and the Fed has to keep pushing rates down to encourage the borrowing to continue. Speaking of borrowing, American consumers are still propping up the economy, spending money they don't have. After a slight slowdown in September, consumer borrowing jumped again and set another new record in October, according to the latest data released by the Federal Reserve. Consumer debt grew by $18.9 billion in October. That represents an annual growth rate of 5.5%. Total consumer debt outstanding now stands at a record $4.165 trillion. Credit card debt increased by $7.9 billion in October. That was an 8.8% increase. Americans now owe $1.09 trillion on their credit cards. Yeah, the Fed is going to raise interest rates in this environment. So here's a question to ponder. What's going to happen when the credit cards get maxed out? I mean, how long can, can a consumer economy that's being run on MasterCard keep going? You know, the mainstream always spends surging consumer debt is good news. They say it means Americans are confident about their economic futures and they're willing to borrow. I've talked about this before. It, it could just as well be desperation. I mean, I know for me personally, I generally don't run up big credit card balances unless I'm having income issues. But when you boil out all of it down, it doesn't really matter. In effect, consumers are taking from the future to spend in the present. Whether it's driven by confidence or desperation, debt-fueled spending cannot go forever. Credit cards have this inconvenient thing called a limit. Eventually, the future shows up, right? Every dime borrowed has to be paid off. And when you're paying down your debt, you're not spending money. That's not good news for a consumption-driven economy. I just don't see how you can spend record levels of consumer debt as good news. So do you know what the super rich are doing in this debt-filled world? They're hoarding physical gold. This is according to data buried in a Goldman Sachs note that came out late this week, or last week. Vault storage demand is way up, and there are some other signs as well. I'm going to link to an article about it in the show notes page to so get more details. Of course, you don't have to be super rich to invest in gold. And the same reasons the wealthy are hoarding physical gold right now applies to the average investor as well. If you want to learn more about this, I highly recommend you talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. You can do it today. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160. Well, that is a gold wrap. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. Uh, if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the show over on iTunes or at the Shift Gold YouTube channel. Make sure you check out my latest It's Your Dime interview with economist Edward Stringham. We talk about the Fed. Do we even need the Fed? Uh, I'll link to that on the show notes page as well. Uh, I appreciate you listening to the show. I hope you have a lucky and prosperous Friday the 13th, and I'll talk to you next time.